everyone around him just calls him Fuzz. That's right. Call me Fuzz. <laughs> All right, cool. Cool, Fuzz. Um, I feel like we're friends already. <laughs> and he's a biochemist and vice president of research and apologetics at Reason to Believe. Um, he has a BS in chemistry at Western Virginia State College, which is now a university, and a PhD in chemistry with an emphasis in biochemistry at Ohio University. He pursued postdoctoral studies in the biophysics of cell membranes at the universities of Virginia and Georgia, so he's been around. You couldn't just pick one? You had to, you had to pick both? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Co-authored numerous papers for peer-reviewed journals and holds two patents. Okay, so... he's He's got a long yeah, resume. This, I feel really intimidated. Oh, my gosh. All right. Not only is he a doctor, but he's gone to postdoctoral work. Okay, so you speak extensively about evidence for creation emerging from biochemistry, genetics, human origins, and synthetic biology. Uh, multiple books, Creating Life in the Lab, and The Cell's Design. Is that the newest one? The cells Creating design? Life in the Lab is the latest. Creating Life yeah. in, the, in the Lab, is a, and that one's on sale here. Yeah. And um, in September, we have an update coming out for Who Was Adam, okay. which is a book that we wrote 10 years ago or published 10 years ago on human origins. And lots happened in 10 years, so we've got a, a significant update to the book coming out uh, in September. Okay. okay. Now, reasons to believe. Who started that? I cannot remember. Uh, Hugh Ross. It was Hugh Ross. Hugh okay. Ross is right. the, the founder and the president okay. of, of the ministry, reasons okay. to believe. I've read a few of his books in the past. I couldn't remember if it was him or someone else. Okay. Um, so Justin's got some questions for you. But I'll, I'll say uh, from the outset, and I think I told I, I told you this offline, uh, I majored in history. I, I majored, in, uh, majored in history, minored in, Eng in English. So... Um, didn't really hang out with the science people. Like, there's people who are science and math, and there are people who are history and English, and so that was kind of always my thing. And uh, I was not very good at understanding, uh, you know, scientific methods. And when it came to math, I was like, letters and numbers should not be hanging out together. They're just going to get into trouble. So it was always a, a difficult thing for me. Like, they're, they're just riffraff when they hang out together. So keep them separated. Uh, but And it's always X, Y, Z. Yeah. X, Y, Z can never be up yeah. to any good, if, right? If, yeah, find, find X. X needs to stop getting lost. <laughs> X, X needs, needs, a GPS, right. yeah, okay? needs a GPS. Yeah, needs a GPS. Uh, but it was never my thing. Which are three other but, letters I wanted. Right. <laughs> but something that I did notice in your presentation today, uh, I was engaged. Uh, and what you were saying wasn't over my head. So I know there are a lot of intricacies to what you're talking about, um, but I didn't feel at any point that you were dumbing it down for us, uh, but you did make it understandable for us. So I just wanted to say thank you uh, for doing that for, for someone like me, and I'm imagining if there's someone like me, there are a lot more people like me in the audience as well. Um, so, but let's, let's talk about this. Science, science and religion seem to be very strange bedfellows. Most people assume uh, that uh, science and um, science and religion are incompatible. Uh, what would if someone said, "Hey, you know what? Uh, so you're a science you're a scientist. You must hate religion." Um, what what would be your your response to something like that? Yeah, well, you know, um, I think the the place to start is to go to what Scripture itself teaches. Okay. And uh, Scripture tells us that God has revealed Himself to us through the record of nature. This constitutes what's known as general revelation. I have a friend who's a biochemist as well who likes to say that uh, God spoke the creation into existence, and so the creation is God's spoken word, whereas scripture is God's written word. But if God is revealed through the record of nature, not only his fingerprints, but we can even discern his character and his nature from the created order, then we would expect to see harmony between science and Christianity, harmony between what science has discovered and scripture has discovered. Because again, if God is ultimately the author of both books, 
the book of nature and the book of scripture, then we would expect agreement, we would expect harmony. I think a lot of the conflict is actually artificial in nature. It has to do with faulty interpretations, not only with respect to how we view scripture sometimes, but also with how we view the record of nature. And so if we correct those interpretations, I think we can feel confident that there's going to be harmony as opposed to conflict. Okay. In uh, part of your discussion, you talked about um, how RNA <clears throat> has been simulated in a lab, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I've, I've actually had a few people use this against Muall. You know, if abiogenesis doesn't have any kind of correlation to reality, then how come they've done this? Right. And uh, you have a very succinct answer to that, and I would love for you to give it, because I'm yeah. sure other people have heard it. Yeah, well, the, the, um, the succinct answer, the short answer, is basically this. You have organic chemists who are intelligent agents who basically rigged the conditions in the laboratory in just the right way so that RNA would be assembled on clay surfaces, that RNA would be produced. But as soon as you try to take that chemistry that we've discovered in the lab that works under highly controlled conditions and try to translate it to the early Earth's environment, it's very clear that that chemistry would not be productive. And we can rigorously show that just by doing, again, chemical studies in the lab. So the fact of the matter is, um, it's not really evidence for chemical evolution because if researchers did it in the lab, the researchers are the intelligent agents that are making it possible. Evolution has to be an unguided, undirected process which, on the early Earth, and uh, under those conditions, we know from the chemistry that it's not going to be productive. So, so if that's if that's the case, if these people are essentially the hand of God, I believe was the language that you used, um, and someone has to direct the process. Uh, we know this, but then they're saying, okay, this is an undirected process, um, which you were just alluding to here. If that is the case, if scientists know this, why is there such a pushback on the idea of there being an intelligence behind things? Because the way I see it, I mean, it's it's aggressive. There is no God. There is, you know, you're dumb. You're you're irrational. You're it's it's indefensible. You 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 use no reason. Why is it so dogged when they know? This wouldn't work unless we were here. These things that we're doing in the lab wouldn't work if we weren't here, and it wouldn't work if we weren't taking all of these uh, other factors, you know, out of the out of the equation here. Why are people so adamant about um, creation versus evolution? Why, why is it? It seems like a slam dunk for creationists, I guess. Um, but why is that? Why do you think uh, that's such a why? Do, yeah, why do you think that is? You know, it's it's ultimately at the end of the day probably philosophical and maybe even spiritual in terms of the nature of the objection. Because it's interesting to me, original life researchers readily acknowledge that a problem they have in these kind of laboratory studies is unwarranted researcher involvement. And they are aggressively trying to address that concern in experiments that are taking place now. It's very much part of the construct of original life research. How do we eliminate that unwarranted involvement on the part of the researchers, to no, no avail, but that's something they acknowledge as a problem. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's there, there, there again are psychological, spiritual, and philosophic, philosophical factors in play. The philosophical, sorry, the philosophical factor would be methodological naturalism. This is a, the system that essentially undergirds modern science which in, in a nutshell means that when you engage in the scientific enterprise, you pretend as if God doesn't exist. Whether you believe in God or not is immaterial, you are a pragmatic atheist when you engage in science. Now, if that's the case, then even if you're seeing all this evidence pointing to a, 
a designer being ultimately responsible for bringing life into existence, you can't entertain that as a viable scientific possibility because your philosophical framework uh, a priori has eliminated that as a possible option. So that's a, a big factor in why there's this conflict where scientists will say you can't bring God into this or you can't bring design into this because that's outside the bounds of science, which they defined as being only explaining phenomena through mechanism. Okay, so then, uh, so then answer this question. If, if I, I've just pointed out what I think is an issue for you know, pragmatic atheists, as you would say. What is, you know, can you be honest enough to admit a, an issue or a problem for the creationist or the intelligent design model? Can, can, you, can yeah. you speak to that at all? Okay. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, I think one of the problems with taking a creation approach or intelligent design approach is falling prey to the god of the gaps uh, fallacy, which I think oftentimes Christian apologists do that, uh, whether wittingly or unwittingly. In, in other words, we're inserting God into the, into the scenario when we don't really have an explanation. So if my only argument against evolution and for God's existence was we don't have an explanation for the origin of life, that in effect is a God of the gaps fallacy. I'm inserting God where we don't have an explanation. God takes the, the place of our ignorance. Uh, and of course the concern is what happens if we then discover how life originates through mechanism God squeezed out of the equation. But what I like to do is actually make a two-pronged argument where you provide a critique of evolutionary explanations and then at the same time offer positive evidences for why we think it's design. So, you know, one piece of positive evidence would be a work in synthetic biology where we're trying to literally create artificial cells in the lab. It's very clear from that work how much ingenuity and intelligence is required mm -hmm. to bring about that. It's an empirical demonstration positively that a mind is required to turn chemicals into, into living entities, into cells. Uh, or uh, I like to make a watchmaker argument that there's a similarity between biochemical stru structures and function and how s designs that human beings produce look and operate. That, in a sense, allows us to make a watchmaker argument for God's existence. That's a positive argument based on what we know about the cell's chemistry as opposed to what we don't know. So if you combine a positive line of argumentation with a critique of evolution, you avoid the God of the gaps problem and, and are able to advance, I think, an effective argument. But, but you know, it's interesting. That you, you, you mentioned at the beginning of the, of the interview that, you, you know, you don't have a background in science. Right. Well, in a sense, that really shouldn't be much of a handicap for you because at the end of the day, most of the apologetics that involve science is really philosophy and theology that is just simply buried underneath all the scientific lingo and concepts. But when you actually flesh out uh, the, what the philosophical and theological considerations are, mm -hmm. it's essentially philosophy and theology that we're talking about where science is informing the conversation. Okay. Yeah, I, I think, and to strengthen that, I mean, the two, the two probably most prominently known are the late Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins, and both have as much as admitted that uh, a seeding of the earth could be a possible uh, origination for life, which is, okay, so you're willing to admit that that's a possibility, um, you know, in order to answer the abiogenesis question, but you're not willing to allow that to be a divine transcendent being uh, they have <laughs> so they draw the line there but alien seeding the earth they're okay with so 
<laughs> I think you're right when you say it's philosophical and theological language kind of. Right. It's it's basically that at its core with the scientific lingo kind of inserted right. into it. So, so I know you have another question, Justin. I just have one more then. Um, like you said, that shouldn't be a handicap. Okay? And that, right. that gives me, you know, that gives me like, I can go, oh, okay. Cause I, but I think practically it's a handicap in that I don't know the lingo where they're starting. Like I know the, you know, the philosophical, I know the religious jargon. I know all that uh, because, you know, I was raised in that and then I studied philosophy and things like that. So I know that. But to get past the uh, scientific lingo, uh, it's very difficult for me because I don't understand the process. I mean, I understand right. the scientific method. I learned that in eighth grade, right? Uh, maybe even earlier. Um, you know, you know, you look at something, you have a hypothesis, you know, you make a determination, you test it, you know, retest, all these kinds of things. Um, so that's my basic understanding of the. the but um, once it gets into things like you know biochemistry, you, know, you have to explain that to me, okay? And so I am at a loss. And so in 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 well, I'm I'm at a loss in terms of you're the expert and I'm not. So when someone says something to me, uh, I majored in history. If someone said to me, the Holocaust never happened, okay? I am now, I know, de facto expert in this situation. <laughs> You're wrong, okay? Um, you know, someone says, you know, the Civil War was not over, you know, slavery was not an issue for Civil War. Like, I'm now de facto the, you know, the expert. And when people listen to other people who are saying, you know, really crazy asinine things um, about history, I get very upset because I studied this. This is what I know. I am the expert in this situation. And so when it comes to a conversation of, uh, between me, a historian, talking to uh, a scientist about science, I am at a loss because that is not my area of expertise. So yes, I feel kind of a little bit better that there's philosophy and religion and things like that behind it, but I still feel at a loss as to having the ability to even start the conversation. Right. So what, what advice would you give to someone beyond, you know, Study science. <laughs> I'm not going to go get a PhD yeah. in biochemistry. Yeah. Well, the thing is, you know, um, I think, again, two things. is One is to appreciate that it really is a discussion that involves the theology and philosophy. Mm -hmm. And so try to ad identify the character of the interaction that's taking place. Uh, because you can go a long way by simply realizing that it, it's a philosophical uh, engagement mm -hmm. that you ultimately are undertaking. Uh, and then, you know, I would look at big picture concepts. You know, for example, uh, I'm not an astronomer. I, I, again, I'm a biochemist by training. Uh, but I, I'm able to articulate uh, the idea that there's a beginning to the universe, that this is a consensus among astronomers. There's always people that bicker about whether this is actually the case or not. But most astronomers would agree that there's a beginning to the universe. And of course, uh, this is embodied in Big Bang cosmology. The space-time theorems of general relativity tell us that time had a beginning. Well, now, that's all the science that you need to know, you know, is just to feel comfortable that this indeed is the consensus. And you can do some fairly basic reading and, and reach that point to have okay. a conversation with an, an astronomer. But now, once you have a beginning of time and a beginning of the universe itself, you know, that, that you're moving into the cosmological argument. That's philosophy right. at that okay. point. You know, and even the rebuttals to it can get really mathematical and very sound very sophisticated, but it's essentially trying to make an argument that it's rational to think that whatever caused the universe that exists outside of the universe that's transcendent may be mechanism as opposed to a mind. Okay. That's, that's a philosophical discussion that's draped in all kinds of math and, and, and very difficult, seemingly very difficult concepts to understand. But if you take the big picture approach, you can go quite a quite a ways in terms of engaging a, a seeker or a non-believer 
um, in these kind of conversations about the scientific credibility of Christianity. Okay. Uh, my last question is going to be in reference. You talked about DNA computers, so can you talk about that a little bit? And and uh, you know, I I understood what you're talking about, but at the same time, I could see that. <laughs> There were probably some confused people because yeah, I was like, it's time it to is, text my girlfriend. <laughs> it's, oh. It was it, it was a it's a concept that not a lot of people understand or know about. So right, and 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 to me again, in terms of big picture, uh, the, this is just a, a recent recognition on the part of biochemists and computer scientists is that the cells machinery that manipulates DNA and DNA is essentially information. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and it's digital information, just like we s handle in computers, that it literally is functioning fundamentally in the same way that a computer system functions. And that you can, you can take that recognition and it in, is inspiring uh, DNA computing, which is a new area of technology, where people are literally building computers out of DNA and the, the, the proteins inside the cell that manipulate DNA. And these systems are more powerful than the most powerful supercomputer system. So in a sense, that's the big picture idea. And that's extremely provocative. It's provocative to think that one of the most important sets of metabolic processes inside the cell where DNA is involved literally is functioning like a computer system. And that allows us to make, again, a, another argument for God's existence that where we tap into philosophy, namely the watchmaker argument you know, of, of William Paley. You know, a watch requires a watchmaker by analogy, according to Paley. Life requires a divine watchmaker because biological systems are machine-like. They look like, the, the, uh, the, they, sorry, they possess the same properties as a watch. Well, we know computers come from a mind, from mm -hmm. minds, right? And so when we see, again, computer systems inside the cell that actually have existed long before we even conceived of the of the possibility of computers, there are already highly efficient computer systems inside living systems. That's, again, mind-blowing, yeah. and it suggests that perhaps there really is a mind that's undergirding life itself. So again, this is where understanding the big picture science allows you to then articulate a, a philosophical argument for God's existence with having really minimal understanding of all the intricate de details behind the science. Right. No, see, the only thing that scares me about DNA computers is I've, I've seen both how the Matrix and the Terminator end. <laughs> it, it just, it always seems like a bad idea when mankind starts doing stuff like this. I don't know. I'm afraid now. When, when Skynet going, when going Skynet live. Going when live. Skynet going live. But I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to end on a, on a dumb joke like that. But uh, thank you so much for, My pleasure. for, for taking time out to, uh, to answer some of our questions. And as our podcast continues to grow and things like that, uh, we're going to be tackling uh, topics that... Yeah, um, that are going to delve into talk, science and whatnot. We'd love to have to you on again. It. All right. Yeah, we oh, love to love to love awesome. to be part this of what is, you're doing. Great. So thank you, thank you. So yeah, much. my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah.